Can I reserve a cheetah at 4 p.m.? This is the Wild Eye Podcast. Hey everybody, my name is Jerry, I'm from Wild Eye, and in this episode, I'm going to go back to the Mara, and I'm going to go back to the Mara with regards to vehicles and sightings and tourism, and I'm going to lead this in by reading you an email from one of the clients who's joining us at the Mara camp this year, and then I'm going to bounce to an article which I only saw when, when Jeff mailed this to me in the Wall Street Journal, and this particular article was called Tourists besiege African wildlife. Can I reserve you a cheetah at 4 p.m.? And the subtitle reads, The cutest cubs or gnarliest kills can draw dozens of land cruisers, prompting a quest for a high-tech solution. Now, before we get there, let me just quickly read you the context and the mail that I received from Jeff. So, he says, Jerry, my wife and I are very much looking forward to our very first safari that we have booked with Wild Eye for two consecutive weeks at the Wild Eye Mara Camp this summer. You guys are having a great time, Jeff. It's a stunning time of the year. I'm guessing by now you have likely seen or heard of the article published in this week's edition of the Wall Street Journal entitled, Tourists Besiege African Wildlife. Can I reserve you a cheetah at 4 p.m.? Please see the link below. While we are definitely not under any illusion that there will not be many others at the Mara when we will be there, the article obviously paints a rather dramatic and less inspiring of a take on the whole experience, i.e. traffic jams, fighting for the best positions of their vehicles by the various guides, uncontrolled access into the reserve, dozens of hundreds of jeeps, and so forth. Given this recent article and the fact that I really enjoy your podcast, thanks Jeff, appreciate it, I think it will be very timely to have one of your upcoming episodes uh, address this article as I'm not sure, as I'm sure it would draw a lot of interest given the significant Wild well, Wall Street Journal subscriber base. Amongst many other things, I would be interested to know, number one, what we can honestly expect to encounter in order to manage our expectations for our upcoming experience. Number two, is there a difference between the experience in the Masamara National Reserve versus the triangle where the Wild Eye Camp is located. Number three, the status of the reference Safari Crowd Control app that they say will probably have a test version working in the next few months. And if so, how may that impact our experience? Uh, this seemed to be a perfect fit for your podcast. What do you think? P.S. Your team has been wonderful to work with and we're really looking forward to the Wild Eye experience. Okay, Jeff, great, great, great idea because I think it is relevant. Uh, like I said, I didn't know about this uh, article. I had a read through it. I've shared it with a few people in the office. And yeah, so I'll answer your questions, but let me quickly touch base on some of the points raised in this article. So it starts, Masamara, Kenya. It's gotten to the point where even the hyenas have noticed that one of the world's greatest wildlife refugees is overrun by tourists. Back in the day, spotted hyenas in the Masai Mara Reserve would track a part of hunting lines and then slip in to steal leftover chunks of hippo or impala. Now, hyenas track land cruisers, knowing a cluster of 4x4s inevitably signals a big cat nearby, likely with a fresh kill. Now they're not working too hard, they're just waiting for the vehicles, says Marley Cianto, Assistant Director of Tourism and Wildlife for Narok County, which operates the reserve on behalf of the local Maasai people. Hyenas aren't the only ones adapting to the crush of visitors in the Masamara. Vast grassland features and flock of nature documentaries. Park managers, conservationists, safari guides, camp owners, and even venture capitalists are trying to figure out how to keep the 580 square mile reserve and its wildlife from being spoiled by the very tourism industry that keeps it afloat. Right. So, first off, a lot of these articles, and there's been quite a few over the last couple of years, 
about how bad things are in the Masamara, if you look at the language in here, it's it's definitely written for sensationalism. That said, can it be quite overwhelming at times in the Masamara National Reserve? Yes. Can you get sightings where there are a lot of vehicles? Yes. That said, has the authorities and the government started making plans to change this? Yes, they have. Right? I'm going to quickly scroll down here. Um, here we are. To reduce, this is from the article, to reduce crowds and raise revenue, the Narok County nearly tripled its entry fees this month to $200 per foreign visitor per day during the migration season from 70. Private conservancies have their own fee schedules. So what this is, and if you've traveled with us or if you've booked with us, we sent out communication to all of our clients when we found out about this. We've been de- talking to the uh, Narok County officials, or rather the, the conservancy officials for a while. We knew this was coming. Now, the reason why they did this is to drop down the number of vehicles, and I'm talking specifically into the Masa Mara Triangle, right? The Mara Triangle Conservancy. So the Mara Triangle is the area between the Ololo Escarpment, the Kenya-Tanzania border, and the Mara. Our camp is located right in the south of that triangle, and that is the area where the, the, the fee now is $200 per person per day to come in there. So we and all the other lodges in the area, we've had to reassess our rates and include this in. Now, with all the communication we sent out to our clients, right? And I'm speaking under correction here. Laura and the, the ladies in the office can confirm this for me. We had very, very little, if any, kickback against this. Because why? It's the right thing to do. I think it is going to make a difference to the amount of vehicles coming in. I do. It might, the first year, I'm sure there are local guides that's going to push their luck and try and sneak in, but it's the right thing to do, and I do think it's going to make a difference. So off the bat, the the Mara Conservancy and the government and the Narok County, they're aware of this issue. They really, really are. I do think that a way to combat this is... Number one, to get more rangers in the, on the field. Because the idea of, and I'm reading here in this article, they reckon between 50 and 100 vehicles at some sightings, right? I've never, I've been going to the Mara for 13 years now, multiple trips a year. I've never had 100 vehicles in a sighting. Yes, there's been instances in cat sightings where you get to like the 30 range. But in the triangle, when David and his crew arrives, the rangers, Alfred and all of them, they limited to five people in the sighting the rest have to wait further away when someone then leaves the next one can go in this is happening right now why don't we mention that why isn't that spoken about is it happening in the Massamara national reserve i don't think so historically the triangle has been better managed maybe now with all these changes that will change but why is that not mentioned in these articles because alfred who's one of the head rangers in the triangle, they do a phenomenal job of coming into a sighting when there's pressure on it and managing it. They chase people away. If you've been there for too long, he says to you to leave. Someone else can come in. And the only time when that would be an issue for you as a client is if your guide is one of those that drives sightings where they wait for vehicles and then they go in. Right? That if your guide is worth half his salt and he's looking for his own stuff, I can tell you this for a fact you will have sightings where it's just you. Many, 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 many mornings, and most people that have been with us in the Mara can attest to this. Most mornings when we go out, we'll find our own stuff, and for the first hour, hour and a half, until all the vehicles start arriving, 
we have those sightings on our own. There's nobody else, just the three, four wild eye vehicles. When those vehicles start arriving, the first guy that gets there on the open channels will say, hey guys, here's a lion, come in. Everybody hears it, the guides are lazy and they drive in there. Now, what the government has done and what the, the conservancy has done is say, cool, let's triple the daily fee and let's see what that does. So I think if you look at that context, the guys are trying to do it. The government is assisted by increasing the park fees. And again, we had very little, if any, kickback because people, especially regular clients to our camp, understand what that would do, right? Then what happens here is, I'm going to just read from here again. Um, where are we going? The expectations of well-heeled visitors who might pay as much as $2,500 per person per night for a top in safari are exacerbating the problem. During migration season in July and August, they expect to see a crossing. They expect to see a kill. And they expect the guides to get them up close and personal with the big five they have seen in the brochures. Leopard, lion, elephant, buffalo, and rhino. Now, let me just stop there before I carry on. They expect to see that here. I 100% blame the companies they travel with because it is up to that tourism company and if they speak to the guide to give them a realistic expectation of what to expect. If they come here and they're expecting to see it, if that guide hasn't prepped them, that's where the shit hits the fan because I've sat next to a vehicle in the Mara where another company, it was a, as a freelance guide, there was no logo on the door, but these guys were like, go, go, get closer, get closer. The guy did the right thing by saying, no, no, we can't go closer, this is the rules. These people in the vehicle then said, well, here's $100, get us closer. The guide pockets it and off he goes. So yes, this speak to guides ethics and, and being doing the right thing, but also this idea of expectations. It is up to each tourism company and guide to manage those expectations for their clients. I'm going to carry on reading. You're managing expectations of guests who might have seen a BBC documentary where something spectacular happened, says Valerie Super, chief executive of Embo River and Eco Camp in the Reserve. And they come over here and they want to see the same thing. Well, Valerie, that's up to you and your staff then to enlighten them, to tell them, listen, this is not a fucking zoo right? This is the wild. We are here to witness wildlife, to see them doing what they do naturally without affecting their behavior. It is up to the camps and the guides to educate people, whether that is when they do the booking, whether it's on Instagram, or whether they arrive at your camp. And then you, as management of the lodges, need to support those guides when they say to people, sorry, we're not going in, we're not allowed to. 100% this falls on the lodges, it falls on the travel companies, and it falls on the guides. The problem is, the guys who do the marketing sell those things. So that's where the marketing companies need to play with. I'm going to carry on reading here. You're managing, uh, sorry, I've done that. For the guides, it's the survival of the fittest. A happy tourist tips better. Yeah? Hence the pressure to rush to the side of a kill and maneuver the Land Cruiser into a position for a clearer shot of the action. You see, money. I've seen, I've seen it happen. Where someone in a sighting says, here's $100, get closer. And the guides do it. I'm going to read. Maybe on one site you have 100 cars at a go, said Joel Kipilosh, an independent Maasai guide. Can you imagine how stressful that is? We have to scramble for both positioning and lighting. I disagree with Joseph 100%. And my guides in the Mara, Jimmy, Salmon, Sammy, Ken, and Ruben, they know 
that I and what we've created, I would rather say to my guests, no, there's a hundred cars here. Number one, let's not pressure that animal anymore. Let's not be involved with this. And let's leave and go find our own stuff or even just take a nice drive along the escarpment because that's a better experience for you. Again, that top sentence, for the guide, survival of the fittest, a happy tourist tips better. Well, I would like to argue, and I can do this because I've seen it happen in real life, people will tip better at the end of the week if you've created a great experience for them while teaching them and educating them as well. And I would go as far as to say that even the most hardcore person who's just there to get their pictures and leave, if you educate them and you start making them care for the wildlife, that's where you're going to get the good tips, my friend. That's where you're going to get the good trips. Right? So... Anyway, let's just calm down because this gets me going. So I'm going to read for you, and this is an interesting one. So, reading. Last summer, serial entrepreneur Paul English hosted 14 friends in the Masamara. English had been to the park in 2013, the year he sold the kayak travel site he founded for $2 billion. He was dismayed by the traffic jams at the migration crossing points. Listen to this. It feels like Disney World, he said. It doesn't feel like Africa anymore. Remember that. I'm going to carry on. This visit... His group came across a hyena carrying half a warthog. A leopard snatched the carcass and dragged it up in a tree. Soon, 15 other vehicles pulled up. Kenya guides referred to such a scene as a Toyota showroom. Okay, I get that. Let's just read on. English figured there must be a high-tech way to better distribute tourists among the animals. So his Boston Venture Studio is teaming up with Nairobi-based Purple Elephant Ventures to develop a safari crowd control app. The plan technology, listen to this, would allow a guide to report, say, the location of a lion eating a topi antelope. Then the app would put other guides into a queue to visit the site of the action. The tool would work like a your table is ready system at a restaurant. Your lion is ready for viewing. Listen, let me read that to you again. The plan technology would allow a guide to report, say, the location of a lion eating a topi. Then the app would put other guides into a queue to visit the site of the action. The tool would work like a your table is ready system at a restaurant. Your lion is ready for viewing. However, however, Paul English also said it feels like Disney World. It doesn't feel like Africa anymore. So, so wait. So if I have an app that says, ping, you can go and look at your lion now. That is not Disney. Come on, man. Look. I agree we need, something needs to be done. And I take my hat off to the guys in the Mara Triangle who, and to the conservancy people who are doing work to make, they've changed the park fees and so on and so forth. Just on an aside, if you want to get a full update, Jono spoke to David from the Mara Triangle about all of this in episode 467 of this podcast. So go and check that out if you need some more background. Anyway, Disney. So let's think about this. An app where my guide, let's say Jimmy, now, for those of you who know Jimmy, you're going to try and, you're going to make him listen to an app and say, now you can go? These independent guys who do things for tips, it's, okay. I think when it comes to stuff like this, I think it's important to understand the African way of doing things because you get something called Africa time. (laughs) right? And that just means I'll see you later. I'll see you just now, now, now. That could be half an hour or three hours. It doesn't matter. An app at this stage won't work unless you start educating local guides from the bottom up, unless you get lodges bought into the system where they push their guides and support their guys to say yes to this, no to this. App's not going to work. I don't see an app working 
anytime soon unless you change the foundation, right? A lot of the guys who's, who, who have been in their vehicles, they don't even have a smartphone yet. They've got a little flip phone, a lot of the Maasai guys, right? Now you want them to ping things and wait for a message to say you can go in, right? It's, it's you change, you, you, you're asking the guides to change at DNA the way they do things in Africa. So an app might work in a more formal situation like Disney World, like a restaurant, but in an open system where you don't have people all talking the same language or using the same radio station or even wanting to share something with someone else, now they have to wait for a ping, you can go into your line sighting. I don't, look, the theory sounds amazing, it really does. And I'm all for tech, make no mistake. But phew, this, I don't know. Let's keep reading here. Ultimately, the developer said visitors could use the system to record sightings, rate guides, pay conservation fees, and balloon rides, or full safari packages. Uh, English thinks it'll cost about 300000 to put a test version into the field in the morrow in the next few months. Now, when was this article written? Let me just see here. This is dated... Um, bum, 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 June 25th. Look, I would be very, very, very surprised if by the time I get to the Mara to host a week in end of July that this thing is active. I just think that, let's carry on. There are hurdles to overcome. Cell service is reliable in only about 80% of the reserve, according to Cianto. Ultimately, the app's success will depend on whether guides, especially ones unaffiliated with established camps, will abide by the new rules when the cheetah hits the gazelle. I can tell you now, most of the local guides, right, if they work for a lodge, maybe, because their structure, the freelance guides, of which many of them aren't even guides, they're literally just drivers, they will not give a continental fuck about an app. They want their tip, they will take the money, and they will get people in there. So I think the, the, the focus should be to educate the guides, to push ethics and to explain to lodges and, and put, the, put the onus on the lodges to explain expectations to people, right? The, the guide education, maybe start standardizing that don't just need to be a driver, you need to be a proper guide. Because the amount of times at the busy season, and I know this for a fact because I've spoken to these guys, where there aren't enough guides available because it's prime time, a lot of companies will just get a taxi driver from Nairobi and say, here's a key, here's your minivan, take people to the morrow, drive them to the camp, show them good stuff, and come back. You think he's going to watch his app? He just wants to get his work done. So I'm going to read a bit more here. Reserve officials say they are taking steps to thin the herd of tourists. In the coming month, the Reserve and Conservancies is expected to launch a counterintuitive marketing strategy to play down the migration and the Big Five that made the Masamara famous. Sianto said, we have oversold the migration season. Instead, Tourism officials plan to highlight Maasai culture and the variety of non-Big Five wildlife seen in the park, including all the birds. And then, of course, they've introduced this $200 park fee increase back from 70 Good idea. It really is. And here's the thing. For the longest time, we, we as a company, WildEye, we've had to look at our marketing as well because we only have X amount of weeks available during migration season. So from a pure business point of view, we obviously want to get more people to experience the place. And we've changed in saying that there's the Masai Mara experience, the landscapes, the big skies, sitting next to the river having a beer, campfire next to the river, engaging with the Masai. That's what it's about. I've had people, even people who are not into the Great Migration, who signs up for a trip, and when they get there, they see their first crossing. It might be a shit show. It might be one where we get it on our own. And then they're like, cool, 
what else can we go and see? So in, in a future episode of the podcast, I'm talking to you, Han, about uh, experiences, more experience-based travel. And the Masamara can be an amazing experiential destination. Again, like Sianto said here, don't oversell the migration. Is it cool? Yes. Is it something I wish you could see? Yes. Is it everything? Absolutely not. So overall, I think, let me just scroll down here quickly. What does this end with? Um, right to him. So this ends off, the, 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 the article ends with the following. The reserve had long had rules to introduce, reduce, sorry, I'll try that again. The reserve has long had rules intended to reduce crowding. No more than five vehicles at a sighting, for instance, but officials admit enforcement has been lax. I disagree with that because Alfred and his guys on the Mara Triangle do an amazing job at that. They really do. On the Mara, on the Massa Mara main area, different story. Under the new plans, guides and guests will have to sign safari etiquette rules. Vehicles must remain at least 35 yards away from crossing points. Agree with 100%. This is something that we as a company and that every lodge as a company should have their guides doing anyway because that again is what, um, what, what Alfred and his team is enforcing. Right, The reserve set up a cheetah anti-harassment unit after a video surfaced on social media in 2022 showing dozens of land cruisers racing to surround a pair of cheetahs taking down an antelope. Drivers honked and guides yelled at the cats. Researchers count just 66 cheetahs remain in the reserve and conservatives. They struggle to finish off their prey because of all this pressure. Right, Rarely, said Sianto, do many cars crowd around a herbivore. Agreed, you never see a topi with 66 cars around it. But this, again, speaks to the guide being able to create a guided experience for his clients, whether photographic or otherwise, rather than just seeing the big five. So that is the article. Now, again, I do feel the entire thing is a bit sensationalist. It's written with the idea of making it seem like a shit show. And yes, it can be, but not always. You can get around it, right? You can get around it. Okay, so with all of that said, let's get back to Jeff's email and the questions he asked, which was, amongst many other things, I would be interested to know, number one, what can we honestly expect to encounter in order to manage our expectations for our upcoming experience? First of all, the wording manage our expectations is phenomenal. So what you can expect, let me, let me take you here. So one of the trips last year that I ran, it was one of my first Mara weeks. At the end of the week, I thought think for some reason I've got this on YouTube. I'll check. But I spoke to the group at the end of the week because there were instances on that trip where the the river crossings was messy. And there was a lot more vehicles than there used to be in the Mara Triangle, which I'm not expecting this year because the park fee should make a difference. But I said to the people at the end, I said, you know what what I'm, I'm proud about the group of guests that we had is they bought into the wildlife bubble. Now, what I meant by that is in our camp, you're in the wild eye bubble. You don't know about the other people. You don't think about all the cars. You're in this beautiful space where it feels like home. You're with the Maasai people, Dixon. There's fun and jokes. You know each other. That's our bubble. And that experience is phenomenal. I would still bet anything I have that it's one of the best Mara experiences out there, bar none. And then I also said to them what's cool is when we leave, because we take that little bubble we've created in camp and we take it into the vehicles. So if you're in Jimmy, Sammy, Ruben or Ken's vehicle, there's that safe space where this is the wild eye bubble. And we, whether I'm with you in the car or not, 
we talk you through what's going on. There's jokes. We, we, we're honest and open about let's do this, let's not do that. So the expectations are managed off the bat. So Jeff and anybody else who's listening, you can expect from the Wild Amara camp an amazing African experience. Will there be things that challenges that? Yes, probably. There'll be idiot guides out there. There'll be tourists who do stupid shit. Um, there might be quite a few vehicles in some instances, but again, hopefully it's less this year. But the way we manage it, we will tell you openly, we'll stop at a drink stop in the morning and say, listen, there is a crossing building. There's 27 wildebeest and 149 cars. Let's not go there because it's not worth it. Let's go and look for a leopard. You can also be assured that every morning when we leave camp, we'll do our own thing. Every afternoon, we'll do our own thing. So there's many, many ways in which we can manage that experience for you in order to give you the best Mara African experience possible. I really believe that. Okay, number two here. Is there, is there a difference between the experience in the Masamara National Reserve versus the Mara Triangle where the camp is located? So yes, this we've spoken about quite a few times, but like I said in this episode already, Alfred and his guys, the rangers, do incredible work on the ground. The conservancy historically is better managed than the Mara, Tri- the Mara National Reserve. So again, the triangle is better ma- managed than the Mara's Reserve. There has been changes, and the guys from the triangle have moved across to help and assist. So look, it's an interesting year for everybody because I think the changes there, the awareness that's been created, this new park fee structure is going to make a difference. But I can only truly speak to the triangle side of it where we base our operation. It's a pleasure to work with the guys on the ground because they do the right thing. So if I had to put money again, I would say that the triangle is better managed because I've seen it. Um, I've got some experiences on the other side of the last few years, which you can talk about in some other time. But yeah, I do believe the experience is more, and I'm going to use this word premium in the triangle. And I think this year more so because hopefully less vehicles because of this park fee structure. And then Jeff, your last question here, status of the reference Safari Crowd Control app, um, a test version in the next few months. The first I've heard of it is in the message that you sent me on the Wall Street Journal. But um, like I said, I'm not sure about that. I, I think it's, uh, it's, and I don't mean this in any funny way, but it's, it's an American app or, or, or idea that needs to be put into an African ecosystem. And there's two different ways. The way the guides work, the way the guides think, the way the guys have operated, the tech that's available to them the potential for bribery, all of these things. It's huge. So do I think it's a great idea? On paper, absolutely. But execution level, I'm not sure. I really am not. Uh, I would be surprised, and maybe we'll cut this piece of content one day and put it out there, but I would be surprised if in the next four years there is something like that that actually works that everybody buys into. It's just too many variables. Again, if you were to have an app system, like a, a what's it called, a Safari crowd control app, in a place like Sabi Sands, Mala Mala, Madikwe, one of the private reserves, that makes sense because all the guides on the property prescribe to the same ethics, to the same behavior patterns. Now you got, I don't know, let's say 10 different lodges, five different smaller operators, and then a whole bunch of independent guides all having to play together and basically competing with each other as to who's going to get in the queue first. And then what happens if you jump the queue? It's just the ecosystem of the guiding industry there. I don't think is ready for it. I don't. Good idea, absolutely. I like the idea. But yeah, I don't know, hey. Anyway, so Jeff, thank you very much for your email. Thanks for the link. Um, 
yeah, I think that's all I have to say. It's it's something's going to keep on coming up over the last few years. It has, like I mentioned, episode. Let me just confirm this episode number. Uh, number 467, it's called An Update from the Mara Triangle. In that one, Jono sat down with David Arawasa from the Mara Triangle Conservancy. They dig into a lot of the stuff. But I am excited this year to see what changes will be visible and tangible based on what the government and the Rock County have done. Um, it's a beautiful piece of Africa. I think it's worth saving. I, w- I think it's worth fighting for. And I think it's worth us having these conversations. So, Jeff... I would love, Jeff, let me do this with you. Once you get back from your trip, please send me another email with exactly what you experienced, right? This will be in July when you get back, and I'll read that one on a next episode and we can follow up. I think that's a great idea. But again, um, I think it is still possible to have great experiences in the Massamara. I do believe so. If you manage your expectations and if you take it for what it is and decide to do your own thing and not follow the crowds, and honestly, if your guide is not uh, doing his own thing and searching for animals, why are you with him anyway? But that's just a personal thing. Anyway, guys, as always, I would love to hear your input or thoughts on this. Jerry at wildeye.com or Jerry Finnevelt, all the social media platforms. And um, let's share some ideas. And Jeff, we'll pick up on this when you come back from your Mara experience in July. As always, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for lending me your ears. I'll chat to you in the next episode. My name is Jerry. I'm from Wild Eye. Bye for now. Hey.